Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Really what happened is staff meeting, Joshua said, Jane, if you mess up that confession one more time, you're done. I'm doing it. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> Not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is not in the notes. One of the things that I have re- always respected about Joshua is his willingness to share this platform. Um, he invites other people to share the word with you, and um, that is not always the case in every church. And I really respect his uh, trust and his willingness to allow that to happen. So, thank you. Okay, Um, I don't know if many of you know this, but I like to play board games. My whole family actually likes to play board games. We have found that the the cooperative games rather than the competitive games are a little bit better for our family dynamics, but um, we do still play them. You're laughing because you know. Uh, We used to play this game called Scategories. Anybody ever heard of the game Scategories? Um, So the basic rules are you have this multi-sided die that you roll and it will come up to a certain letter. And then everybody has the same list, there's multiple lists, and you have a certain amount of time to fill out, answer all the categories that start with that letter. For example, articles, if I had rolled a B, articles of clothing, blouse, desserts, brownies, car parts, brakes, there you go. You get the breaks? I don't know. Um, Anyways, you've got this amount of time, and then it's done. And then what you do is you take turns reading what you have on your list. If anybody has the same answer, you have to scratch yours off. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most unscratched answers is the winner. Get it? If you don't, it's okay, because we're not playing. (laughs) But we're going to do something a little bit similar to that this morning. I'm going to read the passage for you today, and in fact, it's printed for you in the bulletin. What I want you to do is, as I read, circle any words or phrases that confuse you or concern you. Put a question mark beside the things that you have questions for. Mark it up any way that you want. Then I'll do my best job at teaching from this parable. And as I teach, scratch off things that get cleared up. If a question is answered, scratch it off. I am not expecting to 100% clarify this entire passage for you, so let's name that to begin with. But hopefully, we will land together on some place that brings some understanding as we examine this passage this morning. Okay, so you have your bulletin out, get your pen out. If you only have one bulletin per couple, you're just going to have to share, be cooperative, you can do it. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long, was a long time in coming and they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then the, all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may, be enough, there may not be enough for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came also. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I'll give you a minute to do any final marking or writing that you need to do. And as you do that, I invite you to pay attention. How does this parable make you feel? What is the tone of voice that you hear Jesus speaking with? So the first thing we need to do is set the context for this passage. Where was Jesus when he was giving this parable? Who was he speaking to? All those things. The parable is given by Jesus in what is a long sermon about the end of the age. This is close to the end of Jesus' life and ministry. The sermon actually starts in chapter 24, where the disciples have come to Jesus as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples say, tell us, when will this happen? When will, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And what we hear Jesus say is an attempt to help the disciples understand how they must live with a question that cannot be answered. So Jesus gives warnings about false prophets, wars and rumors of wars, persecution. And in verse 36 of chapter 24, Jesus says, But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus continues on, and then he shares three parables that continue to explain how to live in the tension of not knowing when the Son will return. And what we're looking at today is the first of those three parables, where Jesus starts by saying, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Maybe you haven't scratched anything off yet. Maybe all of that was fine, and you didn't even pay attention to that. But that's the setting of this time and space in which Jesus is giving this, picture, this uh, parable. And before I go any further, I want to name something. Fear. I don't know about you, what your, formative life, what your formative faith experience was, but for me, a passage like this did nothing but arouse fear when I was younger. I'm not blaming this on my church or my parents. I think it was a lot of the Christian culture that I grew up around. But I was taught about following Jesus with songs like this, which I'm not going to sing, but I will read. Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. There's no, the father spoke, the demons died. How could you have been so blind? 
There's no time to change your mind. The sun is coming, you've been left behind. I hope we've all been ready, you've been left behind. I hope we've all been ready, but you've been left behind. I sang that song in youth group over and over and over again. And I'm gonna reveal my age by telling you this was way before the Left Behind series. We watched the movie A Thief in the Night. There were times I went to bed and I was terrified. So if fear is anything you have on your page, mark it, put an asterisk beside it. I'm gonna address that a little bit more later, but I felt like we needed to name it. Let's name the elephant in the room that this passage for a lot of us brings about fear. Okay, so now we get to the fun part, all right? Um, and I wanna say, I'm not trying to disrespect the weight of this passage by handling it in a little bit more of a fun way, but as I read about the Jewish wedding culture, I got to see how so much of this mystery of this parable is explained just by knowing the culture of when Jesus was talking. I actually got pretty excited about it because Jesus is actually kind and gracious by using the setting of a wedding to explain, to use this parable. The symbolism is rich and yet simple, and it's also quite celebratory. So listen as I describe a traditional wedding. Actually, Jewish marriages were usually arranged by the fathers of the bride and groom, and it would begin with a betrothal or an engagement. In Jewish culture, the groom's father paid a mahar to the bride's family in order to negotiate the betrothal. The groom would also give a gift to the bride called a matan, which became part of her property, which she would bring to the marriage. The Jewish betrothal was an important part of the marriage process and was as binding as the marriage itself. After the betrothal, if any, either party wanted to end this, they would have to file for divorce, kind of be like filing for divorce. Um, it was a custom for the bride to join the groom's father's household rather than the bride and groom establishing their own household like we would today. So once the betrothal had begun, the groom would go back to the home of his father's house and he would prepare a place for his bride. This traditionally took more than a year and the bride would go back to her family home and prepare her own ways for establishing a household with, her, with the groom. When the place the groom was preparing was complete, when the father of the groom said the place was complete, he would tell the groom to now go and get his bride. The bride would not know the day or the hour when the groom would come. However, when the groom was coming, which usually was at nighttime, there would be an announcement with a trumpet or a shouting that the groom is on his way. After the ceremony, the couple would attend a feast, and there would be a procession from the groom's, from where the bride was living, back to the groom's house, where they would have the wedding ceremony. Um, and after that feast, it was customary, they would have a smaller wedding ceremony and then a large feast. And this feast could last anywhere from five to seven days. Okay, so maybe you started scratching things off by now. I hope maybe you did. I hope that even just hearing that has helped you to see some of the confusion can be set aside. Can I point out that none of you are actually gonna win? So be a little generous. If I kind of name what you were thinking about, go ahead and scratch it off, okay? 
Okay, I think it is just beautiful how Jesus uses this wedding as the parable that he's giving. First, the symbolism of the groom and the bride. Jesus is to be the groom, and the church is his bride. Earlier in Matthew, we have read Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom. And did you pick up on the idea of the place for of him going to prepare a place for his bride and then coming to take his bride back to the place that he has prepared? It feels like a quote from John 14. If I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come and, return, and bring you back to that place. Also, the groom only gets to go to get his bride when the father tells him to go. Jesus has said only the father knows when the end of the age will come. Even he doesn't know. Again, to compare the kingdom of God to the wedding is so good. And I'm going to admit, this doesn't, like, how is Jesus fully God, fully man, and there's something that God knows and Jesus doesn't know? I don't know. That's the mystery that we can't always explain. There are mysterious parts about all of this Godhood thing that we can't fully explain. But we believe it to be true. Okay, let's talk about the wise and the foolish. Upon first eating, reading, we can offer grace to these foolish bridesmaids. Bridesmaids and virgin, it's the same thing, depending on which uh, translation you read would be the same thing. Um, I felt like there was a bit of mystery surrounding when the groom would arrive. Like, what made him so late? How did they know the bridegroom was going to take so long? Maybe those first five bridesmaids were just caught off guard. But if we compare it to a wedding that they would have known and understood, the wait was not a surprise. It was not unexpected for the groom to be a long time. And while they didn't know exactly when he was coming, even coming at night was not a surprise. I even read that sometimes a bride would leave her veil and her lamp at her bedside when she went to bed at night, just in case the groom came that night. So knowing all of this, it actually does seem quite foolish for the bridesmaids not to have brought oil, doesn't it? And why didn't the wise share their oil? I think we all would agree that there have been many times that Jesus has taught about being compassionate, being generous, giving to others. But it, this parable is about how we live and how we prepare to wait for the end of the age. And at some point, it comes to our own faith. It's not about what we have to offer, only what we as individuals believe in and what we trust, and we cannot rely on the faith of others. One uh, commentator said this, he said, Christian hope is as big as the whole sweep of human history, but also as small as each individual. So while the wise virgins said there wouldn't be enough to share, when we compare oil to faith, there comes a point where we each must have our own. And we need to notice that all 10 bridesmaids were invited to this wedding celebration. It was how they received the invitation, what they did to prepare, and how they were ready to wait that divides the wise from the foolish. Do you see how this parable comes alive when we actually understand the context of where Jesus was talking? Did you get at least a few of your questions answered? I hope so. How does it make you feel now? Has it changed the tone of Jesus' teaching at all? 
Maybe I answered some of your questions and maybe not, and if I didn't get them all, that's okay. But I said I would get back to fear. And I don't know about you, but if I'm worried or concerned about something, it affects my sleep. And one of the commentators I read this, this week said, the arrival of the groom should not produce panic and anxiety. Even the wise bridesmaids fell asleep. Falling asleep wasn't the issue. It was having the oil that was the issue. But we can't skip over the hard part. The foolish virgins knock on the door wanting to be let in. And as I read over it over and read it over over and over, I noticed we don't get to see actually if they got oil. Maybe it was just the next day that they arrived. The wedding feast goes on for days. Maybe they just came the next day. But it was too late. They knock and ask, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And Lord could be substituted for sir. This is not naming the lordship of Christ. It's just saying, sir, let us in. But we hear the groom say, I don't know you. And this is the true but sad situation. Robert Farrar Capon, who wrote Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment, put it this way. The groom does not say, I never called you. He does not say, I never loved you. He does not say, I never drew you to myself. He only says, I never knew you because you never bothered to know me. I know, in some ways, it feels a little uncomfortable to name the exclusivity of following Jesus. He is the Messiah. For some reason, and I don't know why, sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable. But we do at some point need to acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that they have to keep watch. Don't give up. Don't let their oil run out. They must stay vigilant in their faith because he will come for his bride. As Christ followers, we know we have chosen to follow Jesus. We do need to acknowledge him as Lord, as, son, as the Son of God, as the Messiah. Jesus said it quite clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. And so there's weight with that. But not in terms of fear. Maybe in terms of grief. Because we do desire, just like we read in 2 Peter, that God is not wanting anyone to perish. And neither do we. Or maybe we weep as Jesus did when he came into Jerusalem and he knew that the truth of who he was, they would now be blinded from. So we can't dismiss it as unimportant. It is. Because no one, we don't want anyone to miss out on the riches and the blessings of knowing Jesus. Not just for end of age salvation, but for today and for tomorrow and for the next day. And about this fear, a lot of money has been made in the theology of fear. I think that there's a fear around, what if I thought I was a Christian and I was not? I can't pretend to know your heart. But we just sang, do you believe in the name of Jesus? Do you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Not perfectly but faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully. We don't need to overcomplicate it. 
Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. I don't think Jesus is trying to make everyone question if they believe him or not, if they're going to be saved. He's simply saying to his followers, don't turn away because it takes longer or it's harder than you thought it was going to be. Also, the end of age of the age has been depicted with lots of violence and destruction. It's throughout all those movies and those songs and all that. But the destruction that Jesus brings is to destruction itself. The end that he brings is the end of evil. So when the groom comes for the bride, it's a celebration. It's a feast. It's a party. If we can't fall asleep, it shouldn't be based on fear. It should be an excited anticipation that he is coming. So here's a few final thoughts to think about. What's the oil? What is the oil that those first five were missing? It's faith. But it's not passive faith. It's active, compassionate, love for God and love for others, active faith. And here we are, almost 2,000 years since Jesus has told the disciples there would be wars and rumors of wars, there would be false teaching, there would be persecution, there would be earthquakes and famines. And these things have happened over and over and over again in the past 2,000 years. And Jesus said, no one will know the time. So we continue on. We keep filling our lamps with oil. We actively pursue our faith. Waiting can be hard, and it's 100% okay to cry out, How long, O Lord? Because I think actually crying out, How long, O Lord? is a sign of faith. How long, O Lord? The thing that I've been waiting for, how long till, it be, till I see it? It's an act of trust and hope to ask how long. Last week I mentioned that there's this tension of the already and the not yet, and I think we have it here again. Because Jesus has said he will come at the end of the age, but also Jesus comes to us today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Commentator John Buchanan put it this way, Jesus Christ comes when his people live in hope and never give up. Jesus Christ comes when faithful disciples express love and compassion and work for justice. Jesus Christ comes when critically ill people know they're ultimately safe in God's love. Heaven breaks into earth when faithful men and women live in hope and give themselves to the work of the kingdom. Jesus was clear he will return, and when he does, that will be a celebration beyond our imagination. But in the meantime, we keep the faith, and he continues to come to us day after day after day. And I think that is a beautiful way for us to approach the table this morning as we remember our Lord Jesus who came, who comes, and who will come again. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promises that you have given to us. The promises that you will come again, that you will bring an end to destruction, you will bring an end to evil, and the promise that you are with us today. Lord, I pray that your perfect love would cast out that fear 
that fear that has been just propagated by evil, I think. You are love, and your perfect love casts out that fear. Help us to sit in the faithfulness of who you are and faithfully continue to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen.